Well, hello again. Welcome back to A Mission Focused Life. I'm Tanner. This is Tim Olofsson, and uh, we're going to be having a conversation today about what it means to live a life on mission. Tim, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. 85 degrees today. It's crazy just how quickly it gets warm. I mean, you got the furnace on one week and got the air conditioner on the next. It's yeah, that's April in Illinois. Oh, I love it. I love it. I, uh, I tell you, I'm a big storm guy. Grew up in southern Missouri, and so we call this tornado season. And so I always get very excited this time of year. We don't have very many storms up here, though. That's kind of disappointing. Seems like we do. I mean, I guess if you come from an area that has a lot, I think we get plenty of storms here. Enough for me. Well, 10 years ago, my, my wife, Amy, she wasn't my wife at the time. She was only my fiance. She moved down to Southern Missouri to live near me. And the first week she was there, we had five tornado warnings the first week. And she said, I'm going back home to Illinois because that doesn't happen very often. So um, anyway, I'm, I'm hoping for some thunderstorms tonight just to, just to kind of feel like I'm in the season. And I'm one of those guys that'll go out and stand out and watch it. Come. Oh, yeah. I, I love it. Uh, I, I, you can just feel God's the power of yeah. it coming and the, the, the anticipation. And then when it hits, as long as it's not too severe where there's damage and stuff. But I love standing out on my deck and just seeing those storms. Oh, yeah. The land. smell. I love yeah. the smell of the rain. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Tim, today we are going to talk a little bit about living life on mission. I know that that is really your heartbeat for a mission-focused life. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important for us as we really get started in this, this new format to talk a little bit about the why. Why do we live on mission? And, and what exactly does that mean? What, what, what does that speak to you? When, when you hear somebody, especially a Christian, say, man, I really want to live a life that is focused on mission. What, what do you think that means? Well, because I think there's two things. One is, you know, sort of commanded to do it. But not that we don't like to be commanded, but sometimes it's, we're doing it because we're told to do it. It's not as in, in is appealing as we do it because it adds value to mm -hmm. who we are. So as Christians, when we can add value to who we are by doing good things, a command that God gave us, then I think it's, it's we're meeting the command, but then we're also doing something that's going to make us better people and we're inspired to live a, a better life. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that there is a, a couple of verses in the Bible for me that really speak to what our mission is supposed to look like. And you know, we have the famous Matthew 28, 18, you know, mm -hmm. the great co-mission, right? Yep. And you even have the word mission in there, you know, this idea that it's a it's a command, it's a it's a mission statement that he gives the church to go into the whole world and to make disciples. Yeah. You know, to teach to teach others what we have been taught and to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yep. You know, so that is that's a powerful um, kind of a kind of a bullseye that you can shoot your arrow for, mm -hmm. you know. Now, what I love about that though is that it's it's a narrow focus, but there's a lot of different ways to achieve that goal, you know. So making disciples means different things to different people. Um, going into all the world, I mean, sometimes that's through a short-term mission trip. Sometimes that means moving your whole family to another country, you know. Or yeah. it can be just living on mission in your own backyard. Absolutely. Yeah, I like the diversity of that, uh, being able to do mission wherever God's skill sets and, and passions, because those will even change for individuals over time. I mean, for the first five years, I was getting more mission-focused. It was just about helping kids within our community and within our church. Mm -hmm. The thought of going overseas and doing mission, that wasn't I wasn't ready for that, mm -hmm. but yet it wasn't part of who I was at that point. So just doing what God is calling you to do today is, is the key to 
to that type of life. That's good. Uh, a few years ago, I had a pastor use, use a, a fishing analogy, and, and he said that, you know, Jesus has commissioned us to be fishermen and to go out and to uh, use our bait, and our bait being our testimony, it being the good news of the gospel. And then uh, he, uh, when, we, when we catch those fish and bring them in, it's his job to clean them. And then what are, we, what are we getting them cleaned up for? We're, we're getting them prepared for the marriage supper of the lamb, for, yeah. for the big fish fry in the sky, yeah. you know, type yeah. of thing. And so the Great Commission, go into all the world. So we have this idea sometimes, and, and I think you spoke to this, that we get into our heads that going into the world means I got to go somewhere foreign. I got to go somewhere exotic. And I think that we forget that we're called to live on mission every single day. Mm-hmm. You know, um, a good example I can use just a few minutes ago, I was at the gym and I was uh, walking on the treadmill and, and a guy that uh, I've become friends with over the last couple of years because of being at the gym, he was in there as well. And every summer now, we, we host a, a backyard barbecue here at the church. And so this year we're planning it for the second week of August and we're talking about it and throwing around ideas. And, and uh, then I noticed that he went and started talking to this other young guy. And about 20 minutes later, he goes, hey, Pastor Tanner, I want to introduce you to somebody. Yeah. And so introduced me to this other guy whose name was Tanner, which was totally weird. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so we had a good laugh about that. But um, through this conversation, then Hap now is telling him about the church, telling him about our outreach, telling him about this event that we have coming up, and he's inviting him to be a part of that. Yeah. And then when he leaves the conversation, I have the opportunity to, to continue and, you know, to get to know him a little bit, you know, and um, invite him to church, hopefully get to see him and his family come to the church sometime, yeah. you know, but it's, it's being ready, I think, for whatever God might have in any situation. I wasn't planning on going to the gym and, and talking about Jesus today, yeah. but a door opened a great opportunity. Yeah. And I think sometimes pastors or our church leaders think, think when they go out and they read the Great Commission, they say, go into the whole world. So you almost until the whole world here. So sometimes we get so focused on to reading, to reaching what we call the unreached people who have never heard the gospel. But maybe people who have never heard the gospel are people in our backyards who have never heard the true gospel. Yeah. Do they know, heard of Jesus? Probably, of course. But have they really heard the gospel? Yeah. Um, so it's not about reaching all the unreached people. That's part of it. But it's not solely about just reading, reaching people with Jesus for the first time. It's maybe reaching out to people who have heard about Jesus for years, yeah. but making it real to them for the first time. Uh, and that can be done wherever we go. Because I'm not sure how many people in the world now, I'm sure there's tribes in Africa and other places who are truly unreached. Um, but maybe unreached with the, the true gospel or who Jesus really is, there, I'm, obviously there's still lots of people. Oh, yeah. The harvest is plentiful. Well, you know, they say that the number one growing um, demographic spiritually in this country are the nuns, yeah. the people that put, mark none on their spiritual affiliation. And to me, you know, that's, that's a self-awareness that I don't ne- necessarily get intimidated by. It just simply means that they are undecided or they haven't chosen um, what they believe yet, mm-hmm. you know? So that means that there's an openness there. And that means that there's this growing group of people in this country who aren't faking it, who aren't just saying, well, I'm a Christian just to get along, to go, to, to go along, yeah. you know, or they're not saying I'm a Christian like so many did before because their grandma was, or because they have an uncle that was a pastor, or, you know, they went to church that one time when they were seven, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I think we have an amazing opportunity to engage people like never before. And I love what you said, that there are all these people that may have just the wrong understanding about 
who Jesus is. Yeah. Uh, a pastor friend of mine who teaches at um, Black, Black Hawk Community College, he uh, teaches a world religion class. And for a, uh, a extra credit assignment, he gives his students a list of churches for them to just watch a sermon and then write, write a message about mm -hmm. it. So I guess one of his students chose our church okay. to, to write about. And so he sent it to me. And I, I got to tell you, it was really good for me to see um, an outsider, a complete outsider's perspective. This yeah. is a young person with very little um, previous knowledge or any type of connection with, with God yeah. or, or the church. Hmm. It was also a little bit painful yeah. because he pointed out some things and I was like, okay, so now I have to balance. Um, is this something that I should be doing different? Is this something that I should be sensitive to? Or is this something that I just need to continue doing and hopefully the Holy Spirit brings them back so that their heart can be changed. Does yeah. that make sense? It does. It does. And so one of the questions I was going to ask you is, so do you think people are more turned off or the nuns, as you mentioned, do you think they're more turned off by the church or by the message of Jesus? It's a great question. And I, I th think overwhelmingly that would be the dogma or whatever of the, of the church, because while well, maybe they don't know who Jesus is, maybe they look at God as this, uh, you know, this judge who, who's, you know, harsh and stuff. Uh, but if they knew the true story of Jesus, I don't know who anybody who would, out of hand, just throw away the true gospel because that's hope for everybody. Yeah. Um, so these nuns are probably more turned off, I'll, let's get your opinion on this, more turned off by what they perceive the church to be rather than what the actual message is. I, I agree 100%. I think that the gospel, well, rather, theology is only as palatable as it is flavored. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so it's the way that we flavor theology by how, how well it's going to taste to somebody. Okay. So if I come to you on a, on a disputable issue, and I'm not going to raise any of those right now just because I don't want your feed to get filled up with angry comments, but, you know, any type of disputable matter or any type of theolo area of theology that... Um, maybe the world's view has changed from the traditional view within the church. Yeah. And if we come at that from a very judgmental, harsh, angry tone, if we flavor it with those things, mm -hmm. people are going to be, they're going to be just as turned off by our theology as they are about our presentation of that theology. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, if we come at it from a perspective of, hey, you know what, we may not agree here, but we love you. Yeah. And we know that God has a plan for your life, and we just simply want you to find the best plan, the right path. And we're here to support you, to encourage you, to help you with that, to answer any questions you might have. We're going to disagree on some of these things, but we're still going to be willing to be in relationship and to love you no matter what our disagreements are. Yeah. Well, all of a sudden, I, I might start to develop a taste for that over time because I'm willing to ingest it over and over and over again. Yeah instead of just having one bad encounter and leaving the restaurant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I like the way you did that, inducing or introducing uh, different flavoring to, to the message. Cause, because if you give something that's too salty, if you get a meal that's way too salty, you're going to push back from the table. Yep. But then again, if you get something that's too sweet and it's fluff and from a church perspective, then that's not good for you either. Yep. Uh, so it's got to be a, a good balance of, of both. And that's what being a good a good cook, I guess, is, is, is trying to come up with that flavor that's unique to each other, you know, everybody's taste, but yet not overly one way or the other. Sure. Well, and I would even go so far as to say that I think a lot of younger people are, uh, are millennials and the generation coming up after them, this Gen Z, I think that they are turned off by disingenuousness. 
um, I, I think that they're turned off by what they see as hypocrisy. Yeah. So, you know, for people that have believed in something or something that is um, legitimately taught in Scripture, to see people begin to run from that or to shy away from it or to pretend like it isn't there, I don't think that that's attractive. Yeah, I, no. I think that they want to see people who genuinely believe what they believe, but they can do so in love and in respect. And and we also have to keep in mind that Jesus did say that the gospel is going to be a stumbling block for some people. Yeah. Some people are just legitimately going to reject the message of the truth just because they're not ready for it. Yeah. I think one of the biggest hurdles of of the church is is we're perceived as the haves trying to convert the have-nots. Sure. Um, some that's from my perspective as a, as a layperson is, and that's what I tell people who go on our mission trips. If you think you're the the haves who have been blessed and and have everything that God wants, and you're going to serve those who are out of God's favor, then then the mission is going to fail because we're all broken people, mm-hmm. and they need to understand that I'm broken, but through God's you know sacrifice and and blood, I am here to to, to share with you what he can do for you. And so it's not so much the haves serving the have-nots. And I think a lot of people outside of the church see a lot of Christians that way as, oh, they're those holy people, go to church, and they're the goodies, and the rest of us are forgotten by God. And um, I think that's a huge hurdle that we as Christians who sit in the churches on Sunday need to battle against somehow. I'm not sure sure the exact way to do that, uh, but that's, that's definitely a hurdle. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and you mentioned this a little bit or a little bit ago, so much of the focus and attention can be on just getting the initial word out. And I think that we forget that that's only the, the beginning of discipleship. You know, the first step of discipleship is salvation. Then it's the rest of your life growing to become yeah. more like Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think living life on mission is understanding that there, it requires a high level of intentionality. You know, I have to, I have to be intentional and the, the culture is changing. You know, the way that people do things, the way that people live out their daily lives, it isn't the way it was 20 years ago whenever I started in ministry. No. And I know it probably isn't the way that it was 40 years ago whenever you were, mm-hmm. you know, a younger man. Um, I think you were three or four at that yeah. time. And, uh, but I, uh, I think that we have to be willing to meet people where they are and maybe swallow our pride and our, and our own preferences a little bit. You know, mm-hmm. I've got a couple of young guys in our church. They're early 20s, 21, 22 years old. And when I was 21 or 22, man, I was working full-time. I was, I was volunteering 25 hours a week. I was going to school full-time. Like, I had three or four major things I was balancing, but I was hungry and I was always there. Mm-hmm. These guys, if I want them to show up, I have to text them the day before, the day of, and an hour before to make sure yeah. that they show up. Mm-hmm. Their hearts are good, but... They have more things vying for their attention than I ever did 20 years ago. And I think for some of us that have been in the faith for a little while, we forget how much busier we are now than we were then. And we don't realize that they grew up with this constant distraction. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think it's that people aren't interested in in being discipled or they're not interested in in doing these things. I think that there's just so many options that people easily forget that they're there. Yeah. And I think from the old perspective is we all have 24 24 hours a day and and you got 24 hours in your wallet. So how are you going to spend that money? And it's not so much that people are busier today. They're more distracted today. More than anything, we just got, like you said, so many things vying for our attention. We're getting messages continuously that are demanding our attention. I mean, even... Even the weather is becoming much more so when these storms roll in that we talk about, suddenly we're getting, you know, 
all types of messaging that says you need to protect yourself. Before, you know, we would get a siren that would come on to, in our villages or our towns that we live in, and you might get something on the TV, and that was it. And But now, for the weather people to get their message heard, you, they need to send out tweets. They need to send out yeah. all of these advanced warnings to, to try to get our attention because we're just distracted by so many different messages. Yeah. And I think that's the... Maybe not the devil's work, but I think his goal is to get our eyes off of, of what we're called to do. And in the church, that's called, you know, the sanctification process. And we kind of, I don't want to say dumb it down, but it's really about, uh, in a simpler form, it's, it's mission. Living a yeah. mission-focused life. And sanctification is kind of the formal term for being more like Christ. Yeah. Well, and we don't ever like confrontation and accountability makes us nervous because mm-hmm. we have these misunderstandings of what judgment actually means. You know, when we immediately, if you call somebody out, they say, well, don't judge me. Well, mm-hmm. that's not actually what Jesus was talking about. He was talking about don't judge the condition of someone's soul. So if you tell me a lie, I'm not going to call you a liar. I'm not going to say, hey, Tim, you're a liar. You're going to hell. That's judgment. Yeah. But if you tell me a lie, I'm going to say, hey, Tim, hey, uh, that wasn't true. Yeah. And you know what? I don't appreciate that. We don't, I, you, you shouldn't continue to do that. It's not going to help our relationship. It's actually going to hurt you in the long run. Yeah. Now that's accountability. And I think that we've confused judgment with accountability. That's a good point. And I think that that is one important thing that's a big component of discipleship that may have fallen off along the way as well is, you know, when, when one of these young guys doesn't show up for a meeting with me, I'm calling them up two minutes after they were supposed to be there. I'm saying, where, where are you? Yeah. And it's okay if they feel a little bit bad for not being there because that might get them there the next time. You know, I'm not going to beat them up. I'm not going to be angry at them. But we also have to remind people, hey, you have to put something in this as well. Right. And I think that's as, as our country, our culture, maybe not our country, as our culture is changing to a more divisive type thing. So anytime we try to hold people accountable, it's almost perceived as not against, not for them or against them. And so whenever we try to hold somebody accountable in a biblical fashion, that's what we're called to do. But it also more and more seems to be like we're calling people out to being wrong. And I think this just this decisive culture is really damaging us to be able to hold each other accountable as yeah. Christians and in and and friendships. Absolutely. Well, we got about one minute left. And with that last minute, I just want to say that the last part of the Great Commission says to, you know, to baptize. And I know that there's different conversations about around baptism mm-hmm. and what it means, but I would say pretty much across the board within within Christianity, we understand baptism to be an entry point into the life of the church. And so I think that we could pretty much agree, no matter what denomination yeah. we're coming from, that that's important, that that is kind of that that linchpin of discipleship is not only getting people saved, not only beginning to teach people the, the truths of Christianity, but getting them involved in the life of the church. Yeah. And it terrifies me how many people buy into this lie. And I think that this is a lie from the pit of hell, to be honest with okay. you, that um, going to church doesn't have to be part of being a Christian. Hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. The way I always kind of understood baptism, so so I come from um, a, I guess a denomination that baptizes infants, and sure. I know that's not seen as appropriate or whatever. But really, if what I tried to reconcile my thoughts was, it's the, and maybe I'm wrong, but this is the way I did it myself. It was a, kind of like the activation of the Holy Spirit within you. Mm. That's kind of what the baptism was about: is is activating the Holy Spirit to live within you, so that you can go out and do. So you're just engaged in who in that personal relationship. Does that make? Is that? 
it, it, it makes sense, sure. Okay. And so that's why I internalized it because what that is, it's really getting that Holy Spirit active within you because when the Spirit is active within you, then you have a chance to grow. But if you, sure. if that's not happening, then is it is it real or not? Yeah. But, you know, I and again, I totally agree with this idea of that activation of the Holy Spirit. In fact, that's what we're going to talk about in our next session a little okay. bit. Um, but... This, I think that there's an over-individualization of Christianity right now to where we're making it too much about the individual, too much, and, and it's supposed to be personal. It's definitely supposed to be personal. Yeah. But I think that we lose people when, when there's not that common bond because what, what um, makes us connected is the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So it's that activation of the Holy Spirit that does uni- unify and unites the church as one. Yeah. And I'm just so concerned for people, especially in COVID where people have just gotten really used to being at home and not you know, going to church, that they've bought into this idea that, you know what, I can be in church wherever I go. When in reality, the church is the body of Christ. And it's such an important thing to be a part of, you know, to be able to see each other, talk to each other, Mm -hmm. engage with each other, and be what Jesus intended. Yeah. So while it is, it's a personal relationship, that same spirit that lives inside of me, lives inside of you, lives inside of Christ. So it is, it's one spirit that that unifies yeah. all of us together. Absolutely. All right. Well, Tim, thank you so much for, for chatting with me today yes. about the, the mission-focused life. And uh, we're going we're gonna to have more of this conversation coming up next week. And so I want to encourage you, if you have the opportunity, to tune in next time as we, talk, as we continue this conversation about what it lo- looks like to live on mission. Thank you very much.